Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Kristen Gilbert? was otherwise known as the Angel of Death. First, I'll look at the background of the case. I'll move to the timeline of the crimes, then offer my analysis. Kristen Gilbert was born Kristen Strickwin in Fall River, Massachusetts on November 13, 1967. Gilbert's father, Richard, was an executive for an electronics company. Her mother, Claudia, was a part-time teacher and homemaker. Fall River, Massachusetts, is where Lizzie Borden lived and allegedly committed the notorious axe murders of her father and stepmother in 1892. Lizzie Borden, of course, was acquitted in that case. Gilbert used to brag to her friends and co-workers about being born in the same town as Lizzie Borden. She even claimed to be related to Lizzie Borden, viewing that as a positive, something she was proud of. In reality, she was not related to Lizzie Borden. In addition to Lizzie Borden as a role model, later, Gilbert became fascinated with an evil nurse character on the daytime soap, General Hospital. The household where Gilbert grew up was described as unaffectionate. Her parents were extremely rigid, strict, and disciplined. Everything needed to be a certain way. This was not based on any religious belief system. Her parents were atheists. Gilbert started manifesting deceptive and manipulative behavior during her childhood. For example, she told her friends that her mother consumed alcohol and attacked her. Neither of those characterizations were correct, according to Gilbert's father. In addition to being manipulative, Gilbert threatened a number of people with violence. Despite her behavioral challenges, she graduated from high school and enrolled at Bridgewater State College. She was ordered to undergo a mental health assessment due to one of her many fake suicide attempts. This was a manipulation tactic she used frequently. Due to the evaluation, she transferred to a community college in Gardner, Massachusetts, before transferring to another community college in Greenfield, Massachusetts. She graduated with a nursing diploma from the community college in Greenfield. In 1988, she would become a registered nurse. Also in 1988, she married a man named Glenn Gilbert, who she met in 1986. About a month after Gilbert married Glenn Gilbert, 
she attacked him with a knife. Typically, one spouse attacking another after a month of marriage tends to predict a negative outcome for that relationship. That's why it's so rarely recommended by marriage counselors. But this couple decided to continue on. They would eventually have two children, one in 1990 and another in 1993. In 1989, Gilbert started working as a nurse in the Veterans Affairs Medical Center in Northampton, Massachusetts. During the shifts that Gilbert was working, there were a disproportionately high number of deaths. Some of her colleagues started to refer to her as the angel of death. Normally, a nurse would not be honored to have this title, but Gilbert seemed to really enjoy the notoriety. There was even a physician on that ward where she worked that wouldn't allow Gilbert to treat any of his patients. So there was this sense that something wasn't quite right, but at a statistical level, no one was really making the calculations to figure out if those number of deaths were really so far out of the ordinary that something else must be happening. During the same time, suspicious incidents were occurring with her husband. One time he was treated in the ER with a low potassium level, but nobody could explain what happened. They were able to correct his potassium level, and the problem did not return. In 1995, Gilbert moved into her own apartment. She was having an affair with a security officer at the hospital. This was effectively the end of her relationship with Glenn and Gilbert. As all this was going on, suspicious deaths continued to occur during times when Gilbert was working at the hospital. It would not be until 1996 when three nurses started to connect the dots. They noticed that they were always in short supply of epinephrine and there was an increased number of fatalities due to cardiac arrest. They filed a report which led to an investigation. A bomb threat was called in by Gilbert. It slowed the investigation, but it did not stop it. The authorities were already on to her at this point. She was under surveillance when she called in the bomb threat. She would leave the hospital that same year and check herself into a mental health treatment facility on seven different occasions, with her stays ranging from one day to 10 days. It was not until 1998 when Gilbert was convicted of calling in that bomb threat. That same year, she and her husband divorced, and she was indicted for murder. So it was a busy time in her life. Prosecutors believe that she was responsible for many deaths during her time at the hospital, probably 40 or more. Other reports have the number higher than that, the real number will never be known. She was only charged with three counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, and two counts of attempted murder, which is a testament to how difficult these types of cases are to prosecute. Even though Massachusetts does not have the death penalty, the murders took place on federal property, so the prosecutors were able to pursue the death penalty. Gilbert was convicted of all the charges on March 14, 2001. The jury recommended life in prison instead of the death penalty. Thirteen days later, she was sentenced to four consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole, plus 20 years. She initially appealed, but dropped it after she was advised that she could be subject to the death penalty if her conviction was overturned and she was tried and convicted again. Now moving to my analysis. I mentioned in the background how Gilbert tended to lie frequently when she was young. Friends and neighbors found her behavior to be obvious. It was clear that she was making up things right in the moment. She was not always an effective liar. 
Some described her as mentally unstable, vengeful, and malicious. They said she fell into a pattern in several romantic relationships. If she felt as though she was losing control in the relationship, she would beg for forgiveness, saying she would do whatever is necessary to save that relationship. When that was not successful, she would attack both physically and verbally. Here are a few examples of her behavior toward romantic interest who had recently broken up with her. With one romantic interest, she told him she was going to eat glass in an attempt to bring an end to her life. He rushed over to attend to her, but she was fine. With another, she would repeatedly call his house, breathe heavily, then hang up. She attacked that same individual by gouging at his face with her fingernails. With yet another former boyfriend, she used a key to scratch both sides of his car, cut his tires, and removed the spark plug wires from the engine. Later, with another boyfriend, she loosened the lug nuts on the wheels of his car. As I mentioned, due to the disproportionate number of deaths during shifts that Gilbert worked, she attracted negative attention, that whole angel of death thing. The nurses were not big fans of Gilbert, mostly because of the dying part. She wasn't adjusting well to the environment. But in February of 1991, after returning to work after having her first child in December of 1990, the other nurses at the hospital appeared to have a change of heart. They saw Gilbert as similar to them. They would often go to various functions together, like parties and dinners. Gilbert fit in fairly well. They thought of her as living a normal life in suburbia. They also liked her husband, Glenn Gilbert. Even still, they noticed a few things about her that were unusual. She had to have the very best clothes. Everything had to be brand name only. She would often purchase expensive items and return them to the store after she used them for a night out or a dinner party. Sometime after the birth of her second child, in November of 1993, her coworkers and friends noticed a number of changes. Gilbert was dressing more provocatively, wore more makeup, lost weight, and she frequently changed her hairstyle. She started to talk about how she no longer loved Glenn. Sometime in 1994 is when she met that security officer at the hospital and had an affair with him. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. As far as mental health, Gilbert was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, 
BPD. It was also believed that she may have had narcissistic and antisocial personality disorders, but those two were never officially diagnosed. It was reported that she was a poor historian, minimized her faults, and tried to convince clinicians that she was not mentally ill. Her mental health and personality characteristics are fairly interesting for a number of reasons. Her psychopathology seems to be confined to a certain area, specifically her personality, and more specifically, cluster B personality pathology. Cluster B contains four personality disorders, borderline, antisocial, narcissistic, and histrionic. The last one is the only one we don't hear of in reference to Gilbert. There are no reports of anything like a major mood disorder, like major depressive disorder or bipolar disorder, nothing about psychosis like schizophrenia, nothing about PTSD or substance use. Again, it's restricted to just personality pathology. During her trial, there was a particular emphasis on her masculine personality characteristics. This seems to be consistent with a theory we see about cluster B personality pathology. Specifically, there's this idea that antisocial personality disorder is really more frequent among men, and borderline personality disorder is more frequently diagnosed among women. This leads to this theory that borderline personality is essentially a feminine expression of antisocial personality. This theory is not too popular these days, but during the time when Gilbert was being tried, the theory was fairly well known. The way the case would probably be conceptualized these days would be a bit different. BPD can be associated with some aggression, but it's rarely thought of as leading to homicide on its own. Gilbert may have simply had both borderline and antisocial characteristics, as the clinicians suspected. For example, we know that the clinicians believe she had psychopathy. She was sensation-seeking, impulsive, deceptive, and lacked empathy. They also believe she had grandiose narcissism, the type of narcissism captured in narcissistic personality disorder. She had a sense of entitlement. She was envious and manipulated people. With all this in mind, here's how one may conceptualize a case like this, like looking at the mechanism that could have led to homicide. Let's start by looking at the symptom criteria for BPD. We see there are nine symptoms associated with the disorder. Frantic efforts to avoid abandonment, an unstable relationship pattern, identity disturbance, impulsivity, suicidal behavior, affective instability, so difficulty regulating one's mood, like emotional dysregulation, chronic feelings of emptiness, inappropriate or intense anger or difficulty controlling anger, and paranoid ideation or dissociation. With those symptoms in mind, we get this picture of someone who has a lot of interest in romantic relationships, but not much in the way of an ability to maintain those relationships. Romance is both a source of joy and pain. The individual cannot make peace with that. There's no way to reconcile relationships because stability and a sense of satisfaction are difficult to realize. They cannot find or are unwilling to find security in the relationship. They experience the passionate love, otherwise known as infatuation, but they do not experience the consummate love, which is known as complete love. There is no depth to the romance. Furthermore, if the relationship does move away from infatuation and starts to become meaningful, the individual takes that as a sign that something went terribly wrong. They cannot accept the relationship becoming 
satisfactory or positive. So it's either negative, satisfactory, or positive. If it's satisfactory or positive, they're not happy with that. And of course, if it's negative, that is not pleasant. So there's really no way the relationship can work. As this is going on, the individual seeks attention. They want to be thought of as attractive. They want to feel loved, but really no matter what they do, they don't feel that way. Frustrated, they start to go to extremes to capture that love, including harming themselves. Normally, an individual with BPD would be a danger to themselves and perhaps a danger to others to some degree, but not a pronounced threat to others. What happens if someone with BPD is also psychopathic? Now, in addition to the unstable relationship pattern, we see a lack of empathy and remorse, someone who is manipulative, and a person who has no concerns about being deceptive. Essentially, psychopathy removes all the safeties that we would normally see with an individual with only BPD. Now, with the psychopathy added, anything's possible for that individual. Moral restrictions have been removed. Therefore, homicide, even multiple homicides, can be acceptable, according to their thinking, because it helps them to address the demands of the BPD, like seeking pleasure in relationships and avoiding pain from those same relationships. If one were to add narcissism on top of this, we then see a sense of superiority, which further justifies this idea that the offender can do whatever they want. They deserve romance. It doesn't matter if people have to die. The only thing that matters is them. It's complete self-centeredness. Perhaps this is what happened in the case of Kristen Gilbert. She exhibited a combination of negative personality characteristics that facilitated the death of many innocent people, essentially a devil dressed as an angel, willing to cause terrible suffering without hesitation or remorse. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.